Andrew, Jerry, how's it going, guys? Very well. Great, man. Good. How are you doing? I'm good. How was your fourth? It was awesome. Probably more yeah. eventful than your random Wednesday in July. It was. I um, I made roast chicken. I was very proud of it, actually. It was mm. delicious. I've been trying to experiment with different marinades. You know how you go. Like you try, mm. you try one thing, you find it works. You do, you do it a lot, and then lately I've been like, no, there's so many ways that you can marinate chicken. So I've, I've just been going off, and I've been trying to find as many different marinades as possible. The only thing I don't do is what every recipe reminds you. You, they want you to marinate your chicken for as long as possible, right? right? Mm-hmm. Like 24 hours. But I never remember to do it the day before because I'm always so disorganized. So I do it for like two hours at most. And then I never know. Like, is it, does it actually make a difference? Yes. It does. Yes. See, these guys know. We do it yeah. for two days. And, and that's a little bit overkill with some marinades. But yeah, it makes a big difference after, you know, maybe 10, 12 hours. Give it time to actually soak into the meat. It, it makes a big right. difference. Yeah, at least the night yeah, before. I want to. I want. I want to make sure I do that next time. Andrew, what what did you do for your fourth? Just uh, spent some time down at the parents' house, which means lots of uh, barbecuing and um, playing washer toss games in the lawn and uh, drinking some beer. That does sound pretty good. Yeah, I um, yep. I definitely I'm jealous of that. We um, we had our Canada Day July first on on um, Sunday, but Zadie is so scared of fireworks that we basically Ah. just hunkered down Mm. watch jurassic world at like full volume to try to drown out all the fireworks sounds and hope that she didn't hear it because the second she hears the pops in the distance she starts shaking she runs into the corner and it's like no no comfort is possible there's nothing i can do Hmm. it breaks my heart you know because they go into panic mode it's 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 complete instinct it takes over and i'm like i feel so helpless uh it, it's it's really sad so i become this anti fireworks um <laughs> like you know i i'm i'm it's it's like hellfire for me i'm so angry when i hear it and um i used to love going to see fireworks displays i I ask other dog owners like do their do their do your dogs react the same way but they a lot of dogs are okay with it. I mean some are terrified like Zadie but others just deal with it. They actually enjoy it. So I don't mm-hmm. know. I guess Zadie's just a sensitive soul. My dogs notice it and they get a little anxious but they're okay. They they'd rather not hear it but yeah, I've seen a I had a neighbor whose dog would just lose it if he heard you know, car backfire or firecrackers and it's horrible. Yeah, it is. So anyway, it was a good time. But what I discovered recently was that I could celebrate the 4th of July alongside with you by ordering LaCroix on Amazon here (laughs) in Canada. So I've been trying all the flavors. I tried it for the first time at uh, Google I.O., Andrew. You remember it was like it was (laughs) it was like a revelatory experience I was obsessed with it from the first sip, and now I have two of them in front of me, two different flavors. Wow! So I'll be sipping along. Um, you know, I, you don't want to get parched. It's hot. It's 
Jerry, you're you're you guys are having a similar heat wave to we, to us, I'm sure. Yeah, it's been about a hundred degrees the past few days. Damn, Sucks. It's crazy. Yeah. We're about 90, 91, 92, so that's not quite as bad, but still not uh, not normal for this time of year in Toronto. Um, but that's good. I'm glad you guys enjoyed your day off. Now we're back to work. It's uh, hopefully back to a regular schedule. And today, you know, we're going to talk a, a bit about the phones that have kind of, well, I don't want to say have been forgotten, but we kind of didn't take them as seriously as as some others, the G7 in particular. We're not going to talk about the BlackBerry Key 2 because we've done that for like three weeks now. I know, Andrew, you're writing your third third opinion review, but we're just going to we're just going to yeah. let people off the hook for this week. Totally um, fine. And we're going to talk about uh, a, an issue that the Wall Street Journal uncovered, Jerry, about how Google's um, account API has sort of let companies secretly read your email or rifle through your personal yeah. information. Um, or at least that's the way that the Wall Street Journal report makes it makes it appear. Yeah. So that, I, I want to start there because there are some shocking revelations to people who may not understand the way that Google's systems work. But walk us through what the issue actually is. Well, for starters, buried in the Wall Street Journal story, and this is important too, if you use Yahoo or whatever it's going to be when Verizon changes the name, or Microsoft, even if it was Hotmail and it's been bumped up to Microsoft Live Mail, they do the same thing. So don't think you're safe if you're not using Gmail. It's uh, You can download, I'm sure you've seen extensions for your browser or small apps for your, your PC or your Chromebook that look in your inbox to help you do something. Uh, ones like, you know, help you manage your schedule or automatically add appointments to your calendar. Those are pretty popular. When you do that, it tells you that you're giving this app access to your inbox and it's just one little line and you say, okay. What that means is the developers have access to your inbox as in they can read everything in your inbox. Mm-hmm. Chances are developers aren't sitting around reading your email. But what made this really bad is one developer was using our emails for training for his algorithms, and he had employees. They, they read approximately 20,000 emails, real people, just random emails. That really, you know, opens your eyes to what's going on. And, you know, it's, it's just not cool. They, they told us that they were going to do it, and we said, okay. But I know nobody sat back and thought, well, I'll say okay to letting some person I don't know go through my email at their desk at lunchtime. And that's what they can do. And I I think the bigger thing for a lot of people was just kind of being reminded that they maybe signed up and gave access to one of these things like five years ago. And it could even be for a service they're not even using anymore. Yeah. Yeah. After this came out, I went to take a look at the the applications that have access to my Google account. And we've done this before because this isn't just about Gmail. This is about your entire Google ecosystem, right? And there were, there were apps that I used as third party email clients. The ones that use access to your Gmail account just as a front end for their, um, you know, their front ends for Gmail 
and other maybe Outlook or, or anything else. And they, they add features on top of your regular Gmail. And I want, I wonder if it's, I wonder if, you know, these companies are less scrupulous than we may think they are. And I know that uh, easily do, which is a company that makes a, an email client for, um, you know, that's AI powered mm-hmm. or whatever. A few years ago, there <laughs> were some issues with their privacy policy and they had to come out and defend themselves and say, we don't actually read your email. We just scan it so that we're, so that it's, we're able to use our AI powered algorithms to find keywords, to promote your emails to the top. If we find things and back then, I think it was a little bit more controversial, but basically, if you use a third-party email client today on top of Gmail, that's exactly what they do. I mean, that's their bread and butter, right? Yeah. How else are you going to compete with the best email service in the entire world? Right. And it's important for everybody to know that email is not a secure way to communicate. You may, you know, Gmail, Google says their servers are safe, your email Nobody has access except for these people, and that's probably true. And the person at the other end, whatever their service is using, will will guarantee the same thing. But in the middle, your emails are mostly just sent as plain text. If somebody can fake an IP address and it hops through their computer in their basement, they can read them all. So email is not safe. That's something everybody needs to remember. But that still doesn't mean we should not care if people are looking at it. Right. So this was a pretty in-depth report, but it was still a news report, Jerry. Right. How can people protect themselves right now if they're worried about the apps that they may have inadvertently given access to their Gmail? Okay. Uh, there's going to be a link in the post for this podcast. It's androidcentral.com slash app developers are going through your email with a hyphen in between each word. I've got instructions there for Yahoo. Microsoft and Google, how you can go in and check and see exactly who has access to your inbox. You see them. If you don't want them, click on it and you can delete or revoke the privilege. Yeah. And right now I'm seeing an an email client called Astro. It's a Mm -hmm. pretty well-respected email client. Again, it's a front end for your Gmail. They have apps for Android, for iPhone, and I never use it. I've completely committed to newton which used to be called cloud magic and i'm not saying even newton has any has any more scruples when it comes to scanning through email i've just kind of accepted the fact that i have settled on one particular front end for my email that i love so why why give all of these other companies access when you, you don't use them anymore and i think that's really what it comes down to um a lot of services that i found had access just to my Google Plus because back then Google Plus was Google was trying to make yeah. Google Plus into like the the connect button for the internet the way that Facebook and Twitter do and it didn't work but I never revoked that those permissions because why would I because you're you're slacking Daniel I revoked every <laughs> one of them I know that I've I, got I, well I mean it's easy to slack right because you don't actually right. think that anybody's gonna do harm or scan through your email even though of course they are right and i you know what sometimes i forget that because my my google apps account access page you know in in the permissions page i look at it all the time at least once a week 
Uh, I'm glad my phone reminds me once a month to look at it. I've got BlackBerry and Dropbox who can see any part of my, you know, Google account and that's it. And I wish Dropbox wasn't there, but it needs access to my contacts because of the way we share stuff here at work. Yep. And to be fair, this is a very transparent system. Google is very upfront about which services have access to your account and what specific parts of your Google accounts they have access to. As are Yahoo and Microsoft. I don't want to play favorites here. All three companies do a very good job of showing you exactly what these third-party services can do. Yahoo's could be a little easier to find. That took me a while the other night. But still, once you get there, they lay it all out, and it's easy to revoke those privileges. So the uh, when I whenever I get to this part of... Uh, my security account or my account security for Google, I always go in and see how many phones I have on the account. (laughs) And it's insane. I have in the last 28 days, 66 devices have accessed my Gmail account. That's just in the last month. It's, uh, it's kind of bananas. Um, and then you can go in and like individually revoke them. But I'm sure it goes all the way back to like 2010 with my first Android phone. It should. It it, it may be archived, but if you delete all the ones that show, it, it should show up. I, yeah. re- I regularly go in there too. I don't need some random Chromebook I was using and then forgot about and sent to somebody else. You know, what if I'm still signed in? I'm sure I'm not, but just in case. Right, I and mean, especially if you sell your phone or do something oh, like... definitely. I mean, it's not... You, you know, you're going to have a password. You're definitely going to have two-factor authentication turned on, right? Right? Oh, but yeah. But even, you know, even if you, you don't, you want to make sure that you have a... Uh, you you want to revoke access to your Gmail accounts just from these devices anyway. It's it's important. So that's your security lesson for the day, folks. Um. Andrew, we should talk a little bit about the G7, if only to reiterate that it's really, really hard for companies to make a phone that stands out in 2018 Mm -hmm. these days. Because the G7, you know, Alex reviewed it. It's a great review. He gave it three and a half out of five stars. Um, And he said the same thing that a lot of people have said. This phone is good at what it does. It has some very high points but ultimately does not differentiate itself from the pack. And I agree. I think it's a very solid device. But what's interesting about the G7 is that it's supposed to last 18 months. This is not a flagship that is going to get replaced in mid-2019. LG has committed to that. It says, we're going to release phones when they're ready. And... As a result, it's interesting that they're not really paying that much attention to everybody else. They're just kind of doing their own thing and using mobile as a way to promote their other services. Good for them. What well, it might work. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it might work, but I think that the problem that Alex pointed out and everybody else realizes is that LG just doesn't really have a hook here. It's just a pretty good phone with no nothing to get anybody in the door to to buy it. I'll tell you what they could do, and LG, if you're listening, uh, when the Pixel 3 and Android P comes out, bang, get it on there in a month. 
And then your phone for 2019 is already here. I also, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot with how much hype the Oppo Find X and the Vivo Nex have been receiving over the last few weeks that we're really grasping at straws to try to find something to get yes, excited absolutely. about. I mean, th- this is not this is not an LG only problem. We talk about LG having the G7 out. That's oh well, it's a pretty good phone, but it's kind of boring. It's like well, that's the descriptor for every single mm-hmm. mainstream phone, and for as much hype or whatever you want to call it, the Oppo Find X gets. Nobody's going to buy that thing at the same numbers as a Galaxy S9. Uh, it's just it's interesting because it's different. It's not necessarily. It's some game-changing thing. Hey, a little inside baseball here. As companies full of people who regularly review phones and see the new things as they're released, we, I think I speak for everybody, the, the Note series and whatever phone Google releases are one of the few that we know we're going to get something new to look at. And, you know, Samsung releases a great phone every year. LG releases a great phone every 18 months and Motorola. They're all good phones, but now they're all just good phones, and they all could do the same things, and we like to see something new. Why, though? I mean, what I, I, I liken this to the maturity that the TV and maybe even the car industry has gone through. And I, you know, we talked about this in the past, so I don't want to drudge it up again, but you know, it's not that cars are not exciting. Oh, um, yeah, and I don't think it's you know, I don't think it's necessarily that electric or even tesla is the only reason that people are excited about cars or you know lg makes a great oled tv samsung's competing really well in the qled or whatever it's called like tvs are having a renaissance but i think it's not necessarily that tvs themselves are just that much better it's that we are experiencing a renaissance in in content in an ease of access in the fact that user interfaces on TVs are not crap anymore, that it's really easy to get good sound through products uh, like sound bars, like connected speakers in general, that your TVs are now conduits for Google Assistant. I think that is what's interesting, Yeah. right? Your, yeah. your car is a computer, your TV is a computer, and your phone is a computer. And I think when you look at it through that lens, you know, LG is is doubling down on the fundamentals and it's also working closer with Google than any other company to integrate what is the future of user mm-hmm. interface which is Google Assistant. And, and to think, me that is exciting. Right. And and the important thing I think you were getting to with the TV interface part is uh, all of these phones can standardize on a lot of these features and everything because it really is a conduit to your favorite handful of apps and services that you use in Google services, of course. And at that point, it's less and less important the individual one, you know, one-off features on the phone that were maybe standouts before, especially as all of these specs have really plateaued in terms of display display quality and your processor and your storage and RAM and yada, 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 that hasn't ratcheted at the same quick pace that we saw maybe in, you know, between 2014 and 2016, where, you know, it was one up after one up every, you know, every single phone release. 
uh, it's really all about, well, does, does the phone in some respects get out of the way a little bit? Let me use my apps to the fullest. Does it have a really good camera? Yeah, a lot of phones can do that now. All of the technology has coalesced to the point where just about anybody has access to it. And so it's not, it, you're not really comparing on an individual spec by spec or feature by feature basis because they all kind of have the same stuff. And it really comes down to the, you know, the finer details. That's something that I, I keep finding over and over again is that when we talk about the G7, it's, it's like the people who, are buying Samsung phones year after year who would never think about buying anything but a Pixel or a Nexus before it would want nothing to do with LG, right? Why is that? It's it's like LG finally understands that to make a good phone is to not mess around with experimental technologies and just to create a great device. And yet nobody seems to be interested in what they're selling. I think, Daniel, whenever you spend a certain amount of money, you you want to justify your purchase and tell yourself that you bought the best. And when it's time to spend the money again, you already have a preconceived notion of what is the best. I, I think it's all psychological. I mean, there are differences between the G7 and a Galaxy S9, and you may like one phone better than the other. As Andrew said, when you get through the fact that maybe one screen is a little brighter than the other, or maybe the LG sounds a little better, or you know, those are very, very minor details, and the phones perform and operate almost identically. Yeah. Other than camera, I think that is the only thing that continues to be a sore spot in the even not in just the budget to mid range, but the flagship area, the G7 just does not compete with the other big names in in smartphones right now. That's Which really is, yeah. the, the last frontier where companies can still really be head and shoulders above others because that's really, uh, it's manpower or person power intensive. It's patent intensive. It's money intensive. It's really hard. It's like you can't just buy a sensor and be like, oh yeah, my camera is going to be great. But we, we also, we look at things a little bit differently than just a regular person who needs a new phone, too. Remember the H7 or the, AT, the HTC? Uh, 1M7. 1, 1M7, 1M7 yeah. yeah. Thank you. It, the camera on it was just piss poor horrible because they were trying something experimental. But I talked to somebody at AT&T, and it didn't sell very well. You know, they, they sold a few they sold through their stock in the first few days the, the they didn't have any complaints the people loved the camera because of the features it had were new they liked the what do we call them now where it's a three second clip everybody's got a, a different name yeah htc called them zoe's live H- photos yeah, yeah a- htc did that five years ago and it wasn't great because of the way they had to build the camera it just wasn't good quality but people loved that. They they didn't complain that the photos were kind of grainy and they were just happy with the features. And and we forget that sometimes. I know I do. I'm going to push back there a little because the 1M7 was a remarkable achievement for 2013. Oh, and I absolutely. Find, 
back, I mean, I, I took the phone with me to Germany. It was my first time in Berlin, and I was I was in heaven with this, the quality of the photos. Um, and it's only now, when I look back on them, the fact that they were four megapixels right. was a liability. But even still, I can I see them on mostly on small screens. I, I go back through my Google Photos. I have yet to blow up a photo and print it. Exactly. And I really don't think I, I think that HTC for its modern quirks were was on the right track with large pixels mm-hmm. and a large sensor. Um, and it it really pushed the envelope. I mean, we see the we see just how much worse the phone was just two years later when it went the other direction and had a 20 megapixel sensor on the 1M9. But I don't know. I mean, there there was something magical to me about the ability to get a really great photo in any lighting condition in 2013 when basically every other phone camera could not take a photo when when the sun went down. Like, it just wasn't possible. I have found my soulmate because that's the same thing I said when we were hashing it over. (laughs) Yes, they're not perfect. If you blow them up and look on your 27-inch monitor, they may even look poor. But look how dark it was. This picture is still there. Try that on any other phone. But I was outvoted. You know what? The other thing, too, was I, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but I've been using the Moto Z3 Play for the last couple of weeks. And, you know, when, when you hit a, especially in the daytime, like if you hit a baseline quality, it really is just the, experience of using the product that is yeah. that that comes out and the HTC One M7 was just so far ahead of every other Android phone when it came to experience the camera experience uh, the the app launched quickly it it just it didn't falter it had a lot of great features the manual mode was good and yeah I, I don't have any regrets about taking photos with that with that phone I mean I'm looking at those photos right now on my 24 seven inch screen and they're not bad but i mean to see photos that i took at like nine at night look amazing five years later it doesn't it, it just kind of blows me away that that yeah. was possible back then so anyway i mean that's a bit of a diversion but you know lg seems to be making the wrong decisions when it comes to camera sensors that's another reason why people just don't seem to be really into them um from a camera perspective, but everything else the phone does well. Well, one more thing on the G7's camera is that they, uh, LG in general, they don't have such a strong reputation for camera quality in the same way that Samsung does over the last maybe three generations uh, because they've done something different on every right. alternating phone. And right. the one thing they've had to stick with is the wide-angle camera thing, which is great, but even that's gone through different you know, varying levels of, of quality and because they've just done something slightly different every time, it doesn't have as much of a, a strong feeling uh, where you could say, oh, you got an LG phone, has a great camera. Not, it's not on the same level that they've told the, the great story of audio quality through the headphone jack in that same amount of time. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think they've just been telling, from a marketing perspective, they've been telling the wrong stories. And we've been... We, we've been pointing blame at LG for a long time now. They don't know how to tell the story of their products. They didn't know how to tell. For some reason, the TV department is really the only one that's firing <laughs> on all cylinders. <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but 
it just maybe it's just an example of a product that is so much better than every other competitor that it doesn't really need to tell a fancy story. It can just say, "Hey, if you want the best OLED TV, we are your only option." Yeah, I mean the t- the TV thing is a little different as well because when it comes down to it, there's picture quality, and that's something that's uh, very. I mean, if you get down to it, it's very measurable, and there's only part of the smartphone experience that's really measurable and the rest is experiential. Well, and, and for LG's televisions, the picture is unique. It's easy to, to, for them to tell that story because there's nothing on the market that looks quite like that. Mm -hmm. And they, like you said, they, they run with it and maybe their smartphone division could do the same. So what, I mean, so what comes of LG's smartphone division then, if this is just what they're going to do? They're just going to continue doing it. I, I don't think there's any question that they need to continue making phones because that is the central core of, that is the core of any mobile or any technology company today. It's just always so interesting. <laughs> Daniel and I were just talking about this. Because we, we, you know, we look at who's interested in which phones and what we write about on on Android Central, and nobody really cares about the about the G seven. You you know, we can write about it all day, and nobody in any appreciable numbers is really researching it or or you know wants to learn about it or how it compares to any anything else. Whereas you can always write about the Galaxy S9 and there's, you know, a seemingly unending depth of information that people want to learn about a Samsung phone even months after release. And yet it's just nobody's really interested in the G7. Uh, It's just it's kind of in this weird gray area. The best way I could describe it is. On the top end, you have like the Galaxy S9, which is broad appeal and a great device. And on on the other end of the spectrum, you have something like the Pixel 2 and 2XL, which is not a a sales winner in any way, but it has this massive mindshare and super devoted group of people. And LG is not anywhere near either side of that spectrum. They kind of went after the Samsung side of the spectrum, and they have sales more like the Pixel side of the spectrum. Yeah, they they were on the right track, I think, until what was it? The G five came out and it was just so horrible yeah. looking that nobody wanted to buy it. And functioning. Yeah. Well, no, I thought it was a pretty good phone. Yeah, with the modules and the Well, yeah, if you ignored that part, I somebody talked me into ignoring that part and taking a look at them and if if you never took the little bottom piece off, it was a good solid phone. Sure. It cost the same as every other phone, so there was no reason to pick the one you didn't know about over the Samsung, which was the problem. But when LG, you know, when they got there and they delivered a product that just looked really bad, what little headway they had made just disappeared. Yeah, I mean, what it really feels like right now is that LG is is kind of hoping for the same, uh, I don't know, same playbook as it does with its like appliance division. Yeah. You know, LG is a massive name, has a name for reliability, and they could just sit on the shelf next to others and they're probably gonna, you know, take care of some sales with a solid product and a well known name. It's it's just not gonna it's not gonna be the first right. choice smartphone for a lot of people. And it just it just stinks to see them maybe 
uh, <laughs> agreeing with that internally rather than trying to push the envelope. So here, let, let's do an experiment. Let's, um, I'm going to, I'm going to say a word and you, you say the brand that pops into your mind first. Oh. Okay. Ketchup. Heinz. Andrew. Yeah. See, I thought you were going to be talking about smartphones, but yes, Heinz, <laughs> come on. Okay. Okay. Mustard. Heinz. Heinz? <laughs> really? Yeah. They, they the make States, ketchup and mustard yeah. in the States. Oh, so that's interesting. Okay. I had... Um, French's? French's. When I think of mustard, I think of French's. If, if you uh, had said when you look up, first, I might have thought of French's. But since right, I but, just okay, said so here, Heinz... <laughs> here's the thing, right? If you go to Google and you, and you look up the word ketchup, there's only photos of Heinz ketchup in the image search. When you search for mustard... You get mostly French's, but there's Coleman's, there's Heinz, there's a whole bunch of stuff, right? I think I show Heinz like, first for mustard. It must be a regional thing. It must. Oh, interesting. Okay, so that that this experiment isn't quite as useful as I thought. No, it would it's be. more useful because of what you're. I, I think I know where you're going, and this this proves the mindshare thing because we have a different mindshare from being south of that imaginary line. Well, that's also true. I mean, I was thinking back to. Andrew's trip to Brazil with Motorola mm-hmm. and how different the market is down there versus here, different ha- versus how different the market is in Europe, right? The um, Android is so dominant in Europe, but the market share is much more spread out, right? Samsung is Android in North America for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. But when you go to Europe, it's not. It's it's a mixture of Samsung, Huawei. There's like there's Xiaomi. There's a whole bunch of brands that are dominant there. Um, and yet, when you go to South America, it's basically all Motorola and Samsung. So, LG doesn't really play a role in any of those regions at all. I mean, the the biggest market share it has in the world is in North America, is in the U.S. specifically. But it's like twenty percent. It's it's I think it's like eighteen percent. That's mostly and cheap phones. It is cheap phones. And yet in Korea, its home country, its market share is higher than that. Sorry, is lower than that. It's about 15%, but it sells mostly flagships. And as a result, it actually makes money in Korea versus yeah. in North America where it doesn't. I, I wonder, since we're talking LG specifically, how much of... LG makes a lot of the parts that are in, in our phones too, especially batteries and displays. I wonder how much that ties into, well, we might as well make a phone. We've got these parts and we need to test them anyway. I mean, it, it, it makes sense on some level. I assume that has to be level. part of it. Yeah. But as far as the, not necessarily the, we make the components, so we'll put these components in a phone, but more the research and development is you know, closely related. Yeah. If you're, if you have a lot of really brilliant engineers that work in LG chem making batteries or making, uh, you know, displays or all of these little components, it, there's a lot of other knowledge involved there. Right. That's not just making those specific components. Well, and, and, and you that, know, there are, uh, what's the, I need to think of economic terms again, but <laughs> there are lots of uh, economies of scale there yeah. and lots of um, shared R&D budgets. Right, and, and it would go deeper than that. The, the, the people who, you know, at LG Chem who make the batteries, they have to work with Qualcomm. They have to work with Google because software and hardware is what makes those batteries work. So they'll charge and 
discharge properly. They're not working in a, in a bubble. So they, they have to, you know, they have to know the entire technology and have access to all of it. And maybe this is a good way to showcase some of their products by putting them in their own phones. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's true, but LG sells far more of those components to other companies. Yeah. Oh yeah. So either way, I think the ridiculous part of it is that the G7 is still not widely available in the U.S. You can't buy an unlocked version right now, even though it went on sale on June first. Um, and that's it's overpriced at seven fifty. Like it's just it's it's not an it's not an attractive device yet. And that that kills LG with every release. Number one, they they they're not going to get the money that Samsung charges because they don't have the recognition. And when their phone the price drops, where you know, more people would be interested. You can't go to Amazon and buy one without seeing those big words at the top, no warranty in North America. So, you know, if I wanted a good $400 phone, I could go buy a V30 from Amazon that works on all U.S. carriers, no warranty in North America. I'm not going to buy that. Well, that's not entirely true because eventually the G7 well, yeah, eventually, will be added yes. to um, the Prime exclusive list ah. like the g6 was and it's on it's on project Fi as well so they do care about it it's just mm-hmm. their time their timeline is just funky i forgot about that i wonder how much that factors into the availability thing it's got yeah, to maybe. on some level all right so we'll take a break and we'll thank our first sponsor thrifter every week we go to thrifter.com and we look around see what we like and then we tell you guys about it and it's coming up to Amazon Prime Day, so Thrifter has all of those early deals if you're looking Basically to save some a money. Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> it's a holiday. It's 36 hours this year, uh, starting on July 17th, I believe. Yeah, I should say it's a holiday for everybody that's following, not for the people working at Thrifter, because they <laughs> actually just work 24 hours a day during Prime Day. Yeah, they've been working for 24 hours a day, preparing for Prime Day for a few weeks already, but... Jerry, I know you had one picked out beforehand, so I assume it's not this $48 Lego friend Stephanie's house set because no, that's mine. No, it's 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 nothing smartphone related. Uh people are going to be surprised. It's a Black and Decker cordless sander. It's 35 bucks and it's it's their mouse sander because of the way the head shaped. Mm. I I use one here for small woodworking projects. It's great because the sandpaper sheets that go on it are cheap. If you've got a cordless, you know, palm sander, you know what I'm talking about. You want, you know, you don't want to spend as much money on the sandpaper as you did on the motor that drives it. So it's 35 bucks for the the sander itself. And it, I, I forget, it comes with a selection of, of head, you know, sandpaper for it. But you can also buy the sandpaper like at those discount stores, you know, around here, they're called big lots. You can get a, a pack of like 20 of them for five bucks. And that's a huge money saver right there if you do a lot of little woodworking projects. So what would you use this for? Uh, I I do a lot of, I, I've got a little tiny router. I make pens and chess pieces and just small things like that that I can sit down and, and work on. And it's got a very pointy head. It's triangular shaped. And I can get in all the little nooks and crannies. Like think if I would put a dowel on a, a you know, and turned a, a queen, a chess piece, you know, an intricate 
queen. There's a lot of little spaces in there that, that need sanded. And heck, I'm going to use a power sander whenever I can. Using my hands is, that's, you know, 17th century stuff. And I'm lazy. But that's, that's what I use mine for mostly is just little small projects. Making uh, chess pieces sounds the opposite of lazy. <laughs> well, that no, sounds it's, incredible. It's it's relaxing. You get to sit in front of a, you know, a little lathe and just have fun. That's that's why. I do, do you listen it. to music while you do it? Oh yeah, but not with headphones because I don't want to have headphones on working around power tools. So I just mm. blare it as loud as the stereo will go. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, Andrew, what's your pick for the week? I have a portable SanDisk Extreme SSD. So I use the previous generation of these things. Um, the The best part about them, I use them for like a scratch disc uh, for when we're at events and all, all that kind of stuff. Anytime I take a bunch of photos or video, I always copy everything off of the SD cards onto an external disc. You know, keep them on the card and the disc just in case you never know. It's really easy to lose or break an SD card. But the best thing about these is they're great for travel because they're super hardened. They're like water resistant, shock resistant, dust proof, all this kind of stuff. And this one has like kind of a carabiner hole clip on it. So you can clip it onto the outside of the bag and never worry about it. Um, it has a type C cable, 90 bucks. Uh, for a 200 uh, or sorry a 500 gig and they also have a 250 gig for you know a little bit less it's like if you i sure if you're just at home you can have a big you know two terabyte spinning drive or something but never travel with spinning drives it will always end badly and yeah flash storage is just so much cheaper now you can get one of these clip it inside your bag and not have to worry about it and always have this this backup because you know when you travel you know, things happen with laptops too you you know it's bad things can happen so always just just have one of these for a backup if you really need that data i read something on medium about sandisk extreme the you know the the little rugged things use them as a time capsule for your macbook oh yeah because they're not going to break they yeah. you, you know it's one of those things every use a regular disc for your regular time capsule but once in a while put your backup on there and you will always have it like when you say it won't break are you talking about in a hundred years this this data will still be accessible if you don't yeah i don't see why not it it has a much longer life than any uh spinning drive in a regular metal enclosure does if if you properly store it it should last forever i would say i mean there's no there's nothing inside to degrade or freeze up. There's no moving parts. All right. I like what I hear. Um, yeah. Well, that's kind of cool. So this may not be available when you listen to this, but I'm just going to shout it out anyway because Amazon's putting a bunch of its um, its Echoes on sale right now, and the Echo Show, which is usually two hundred and thirty bucks, is available for one hundred and thirty dollars. So it's a hundred dollars off if you're a Prime member. Because look, Amazon doesn't care; it just wants you to be a Prime member. Absolutely. And the Echo Show is an interesting product. I don't have one, but I trust Phil, and Phil is a diehard Echo Show user. He's pointed out some downsides to it, like. Uh, the news feature isn't as robust as he would like, and some of the 
screen integrations with various APIs like Nest. They don't work super well, but you can still say like, you know, hey, hey, A, show me the front door and it'll show you your camera. And that's kind of that's kind of cool. Uh, but just in general, if you are uh, a, an Alex user, you do not, you know, and, and you want a screen and you don't necessarily want to wait for Google's um, smart displays that are supposed to be coming out now, but I haven't heard anything. You'll want the Echo Show. And in the run-up to Prime Day, um, it'll be not just this product, but a lot of the other Echoes on sale. So you'll probably find the Echo Spot for under 100 bucks. You're already able to find the Echo itself for like $60, which is a bargain. And I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of it, they'll just be including Echo Dots with your order, because of course they will be. And... Um, that's my pick for the U.S., but this is a special version of the Thrifter ad spot because Thrifter has just launched a uh, dedicated U.K. and Canadian sections. So in honor of the launch of the deals for Canada where I live, I'm super excited about this, I will give you a special uh, bit of information. Okay, here goes. You can now order LaCroix drinks on Amazon with Prime. Th- I know, it's it's insane, and you're welcome. But this is this is like nectar from the gods, this stuff. It's so delicious. It's flavored water. It's calorie-free. I'm not being paid from them, I promise. It's just something that I'm obsessed with right now. I'm even going to open it up. Listen to this. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Is that that? What is it? Pamplemousse? <laughs> is that? Is that? That's that's the company that makes that. What is it? I know I'm saying it wrong, but it's Pamplemousse. 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 It's it's uh, the French word for grapefruit. That's adorable. It just makes you sound yeah. really fancy. Uh, not when he says it like that. He doesn't. <laughs> well, I, I, Pamplemousse. No, that's um that's their second best flavor that I've discovered so far. I'm I'm a fan of the peach pear. You need so, to uh, you need to get in on the key lime. I know. I that's, hear the key lime, the tangerine. There are are really the business good. Business right there. Yeah. I haven't I haven't been able to try them in anyway. So that's neither here nor there. But if you're interested in signing up for their Canadian or UK dedicated newsletters, go to thrifter.com, and there's a link on the side. If not, just sign up for their Prime Day newsletter at thrifter.com, and you'll get all these deals in your inbox every morning. And as always, we thank Thrifter for their sponsorship. All right, so let's talk Android P Beta 3 or Beta 3 Developer Preview 4, whatever, however you want to call it. P stands for Pamplemousse. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first. All right, Andrew. um, Yeah. What's new with Beta 3? Because even though it's just another iterative update, there are some visual changes that we're seeing on the on the new version for pixels yes um so the the biggest thing is that the i don't know what the technical designy term is for it but they changed all the icons um it they removed all of the all the interiors of the icons basically so in your notification shade pull down and in the settings 
everything is like been hollowed out. So they're using negative space to create the icons where everything is basically just uh, an outline now. And it just looks different. I don't really care. Uh, it was en- it was enough of a change that you notice it, you know, as soon as your phone reboots. But is anybody going to look at these icons and be like, wow, what an amazing set of icons? No, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I also think that the important thing is that we're continuing to see them ex- improve on the gesture system. It's actually getting better with each iteration. I know a lot of people kind of crapped on the gesture system when the first developer preview came out or the first beta came out. Um, the last two iterations have really improved it. Uh, so you can swipe along a wider section of the bottom as soon as you've done the one-time swipe to to open up. So you can do the one swipe to the right to just toggle between apps, or you can hold and continue to scrub between on the timeline. Now you can scrub along the entire bottom of the interface. Also, just the simple swipe up gesture to get into the regular multitasking and search bar and suggested apps view is a lot lighter. I will say that getting into the app drawer is still a little bit finicky, but I have confidence here. The last two iterations have really improved it. Those are really the two the two big parts of this latest beta. So are you ready? Are you ready for the gestures? I'm fine with it. I've been using it kind of begrudgingly since the first one, but with this one, it's a whole lot better to the point where I'm cool with it. I still want them to... I'm sure you guys do as well. Figure out the whole back button situation. They redesigned the <laughs> the back button in this one. It's just a little thinner and smaller, which really I want them to just give up on that idea and just make it a, a swipe left on that uh, that home button pill thing and just just go full gesture. The back button feels really tacked on there. Uh, but other than that, I think the gestures are fine. The interesting thing is, I can complain about the app drawer being a little tougher to get to, but in reality, most of the time that I go and I, you know, I'm not able to swipe up far enough. So I just get the suggested apps. What I'm looking for is in the suggested apps. I don't know exactly what their algorithm is there, but I feel like it's actually doing a good job because those suggested apps are really uh, good for me. All right. So we're getting to the point now, Jerry, where Android P's um, APIs are all ready to go. They're they're um, they're final. So that means Google is encouraging developers to update their apps to support new Android P features. What are the things that early adopters can expect when their pixels are updated to Android P um, later in? Uh, mid-August or so when we're expecting the final version? Uh, visibly, not a lot. It's And that's by design. Uh, Andrew talked about the, the tiny interface changes that you you, you may notice, but they're, they're not, you know, stand out and scream at you. Uh, the biggest change you, I think you'll see is the way it, uh, the, the intelligent battery monitoring prompts you to tell you that, you know, this app is using battery and if you don't want it to do that, you can click here and we'll clamp down on it so it can't use as much battery. And it works. It's, you know, the suggestions so far that I've seen aren't, you know, 
wise for my choices because they want to close apps that you would normally want to keep open in the background, but that's going to happen. Those apps are the ones using battery. Uh, you're trying to, you, you'll be able to see photos that people with a iOS 11 and higher device took if they didn't check the box to save them in the old format, because we can now view, uh, high, you know, high efficiency photos and HDR. Yeah, so what, what does that mean? Uh, exactly. So uh, uh, Apple's been using the HEIC and HEIF um, app, like the the actual container for a while. Right. Right. But there, the the compression is more efficient than JPEG, and the idea here is that they are going to offer higher quality photos and videos, including HDR, within those containers at lower file sizes while making them easier to share. Are there any other advantages to these new file systems? Actually, I think that's the least important advantage of all, which, you know, tells a story here. That's where everybody's going to start. But uh, an HEIF compression file, and Apple uses HEIC, high-efficiency image compression, and that's what Google's going to use. Their HEIF file types. Like a JPG is a JPEG, and and I'll stop here. That's enough. But uh, you can also save little bits of metadata along with the picture. Uh, That's good for things like live photos or panoramas. Uh, You can save a thumbnail view inside the file itself. So I think anybody that has a million photos in their photo album, and especially if you store it on an SD card, you hate it when you close your photo album because when you open it, it has to regenerate all those thumbnails. Won't have to do that anymore. It's instant because it's part of the file. Uh, it contains uh, all the EXIF data, not just the little bits that our smartphones you know, save now. They can save all of it. If you go into Lightroom and look at all the EXIF data on a photograph, you... Most of it we don't understand, but it can all be saved, and that that's important. It's just little things that developers of applications can do to make photo editing better. They can, you know, non-destructive data can be saved inside the file. That's really interesting because Google Photos makes a big deal about non-destructive edits. But they're not using when they do it on a JPEG. They're not modifying the JPEG. They're they're what making a copy. silent a second card. copy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but another interesting Google Photos has, I think, since inception, uh, any HEIF file you can upload and it'll convert it, and you can look at it because if if you have a, a Windows computer at home or any computer that's not a Mac. You could have updated it yesterday and everything's up to date. You can't see the photos from your iPhone. You have to go out and fetch a special file. The one Microsoft suggests costs $4, but there are plenty of free ones out there that integrate into the operating system so you can view them because Windows sees them as a movie. And that's because of the extra data. Even Mm. if those slots are blank, it's not seeing one set of data just for an image. It's seeing different data sets, so it interprets it as a as a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Android would just tell you that this file can't be read. It didn't tell you anything else. 
but it's the file format is very, very different. So expect some bugs, people. Uh, I know on the iPhone side, the biggest problem is it will take those photos by default if you don't bother to read any of the the things it tells you when you first start the photo app and set it to save both a JPEG file and a high image compression file or vice versa. There's a setting there. If you don't hit it, you send a photo to somebody and they can't see it. And that's causing people to think there's something wrong and to having to try to figure out what's wrong. Well, nothing's wrong. It's taking a better photo that the person on the other end can't look at. So, yeah. So Google Photos initially did not, once iOS 11 came out with HEIC support, Google Photos couldn't um, upload those files at all. They would just, it would just get ignored. Okay. Uh, eventually those Google Photos for iPhone was updated to support the upload of those fi- photos, but mm-hmm. the web the web app did not see them, and then the web app was updated. So now everything is fine. The only issue is that you cannot edit a right. HEIC photo on an Android phone. So if I go onto my Google Photos right now on my Pixel, I can see all of the photos that the, my iPhone has uploaded, but I can't edit them. And if I download the photo to my Pixel, it downloads it as an HEIC file which means that I'm limited in the ways that I can edit it. Now, what I've found is that Snapseed can open the file and you can save a copy of it through Snapseed, which will then be be a JPEG by default, and then you can upload it wherever else you want. Now, that is a convoluted process. But there's a a reason behind it. If if it's it's an HEIF file type, if they make a copy as a JPEG that their editing software can edit, then you have the final result. You've lost all that extra data when you convert it back. As soon as you change the file type in your copy, you have lost that. There's nowhere to put that data. So they, they make that sidecar file, you do your edits and then they merge it back, but they can't because it's missing all the data. And the only solution is, okay, we're going to convert it and you lose that high quality or you can't edit it until they, you know, get their editing software up to date. And that's going to take a while. Which is fine because the number of people who, who will use <laughs> Android P when it goes public is like 0.00001%. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that the default in Android P is not going to be to take high compression files. They 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 had to have learned the one snag that Apple hit. They had to. Come well, on, Google. You had to have learned that. <laughs> I mean, that's also just not something Google does, right? It doesn't force people into these massive well, usability changes. Um, it's it, it likes. I mean, for it's the same reason that the gestures are not going to be by default on right. um, on Pixel phones. It'll be an option. I'm excited over all this, and I know a lot of people just brush it off like, I don't care. But this is the next generation of image editing software on your phone can be as good as Photoshop on, on a computer. Right. Okay, so Android P Beta, th- beta 3, Developer Preview 4, it's available now. We should get one more Dev Preview slash Beta before the final version, which is expected in mid-August, right? Um, 
and then we're gonna we're gonna wait a few months until the Pixel Three comes out in October, and then we'll see all of the other you know interface changes right. that come along with that because they're going to bring a lot of stuff just to the Pixel, so we all think of as being you know Android Oreo or Android P, but these are things that are in the Pixel launcher and in the Pixel system that are not in Android P that will really be you know actual standout consumer facing features right okay so here's a a little segment that i want to just call news fast (laughs) or fast news or whatever uh you have to workshop that title a little bit well it's it's not an actual segment or an actual title it's just my way of saying the next couple of things i don't really want to spend too much time on so um jerry zte is going to be allowed to um, work and, and and do business in the U.S. This on week. a temporary basis until <laughs> August 1st. That was granted as a sort of temporary reprieve by the Commerce Department to allow them to work out a deal to figure out what's going on. And it's called engage in commercial transactions needed to maintain existing networks and equipment. Basically, Stuff is going to stop working unless it, unless uh, ZT intervenes. So give us the 30-second uh, pitch here. What happens once August 1st hits? Is this company just going to continue to not work, or do you think they it, will reach a deal to continue they'll, operating? They'll, they'll reach a deal. Uh, that's If they reached a deal now, there's no reason not to reach a deal later. Uh, what the company did is cut and dry. We have proof that they did it. Uh, they they admit that they did it. There's no question that what they did that violated U.S. laws. They did, and the penalty for all of it was no more, you know, commerce for you with U.S. companies. Uh, how they got around it, you know, I'm not going to get into politics here, but if they found a way around it once, they'll be able to find a way around it again. All right, good stuff. All right, next up, Andrew. Uh, OnePlus rolled out a new open beta for the OnePlus 5 and the 5T this week, beta 13 yeah. and beta 11, respectively. Among the many small changes, including new accents for you know color accents and, and slight tweaks to app design, both phones now support Project Treble, which is a good thing, I guess. It allows yeah. for more flexibility in, in the modular um, in the mods business and, and generally giving developers a bit more flexibility. Um, what, what's the, what's the implication here is, is now the, the one plus five and five T are they comparable to pixel and Nexus phones in terms of their, their flexibility on, uh, from, for custom ROMs? Well, yeah, I suppose theoretically, I mean, uh, it's project treble in itself is not, a silver bullet it's it's merely a system by which you need the other 99 percent of the work to be done through uh it gives oneplus and other developers if they want to make custom roms the ability to push out updates and change things without interfering with the core of the the firmware but all that work still has to be done. OnePlus still has to push out the updates if they're going to do that. Uh, 
it's really just a kind of a show of good faith from OnePlus to say, hey, we're pushing this stuff out for last generation's uh, devices. They've already kind of been on this train because they do these open betas and they push them out pretty regularly and they push them over the air to people once they get in on the beta program. So they already kind of had this goodwill built up a little bit, but it doesn't automatically mean that, I mean, Project Treble is great, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't automatically mean that the 5 and 5T are going to get, you know, the next three platform updates or something like that automatically. You know, OnePlus has to still continue to support them going forward. They did say, though, that uh, their phones would receive three years of security updates and two years of platform updates, Mm -hmm. um, which brings them almost as, brings them almost as, you know, to the same point as the Pixel phones, Pixels get three years of security and as of last generation, three years of software updates or platform updates. So, you know, we're getting there. I mean, OnePlus has certainly turned itself around when it comes to software support. Um, like I've said, they've really turned around the public perception, uh, you know, and really fought against this idea that they weren't going to update their phones. I tell you, one good thing, though, for, for people who do like custom ROMs, when the OnePlus, when, when this phone is dead, when it's end of life, as long as OnePlus, the last version you have installed is Project Treble compliant and they've posted the kernel source for that version, you're, you're done. You can, you can continue to build software that, for that phone mm-hmm. until Android needs something in the kernel that that version won't do. So you can expect three to four more updates. You know, Android what p u r android t could go on that phone damn you know because the the people at xda are wizards and and it's because this is the stuff they enjoy uh it's and it's not that difficult to do if you're good at it and some of those guys are very good at it and now yep. oneplus gave them a conduit to have fun when we're done with it it's yours and that's all great. right so let's let's throw down our bets now let's let's put down our our money today. What's Android T going to be called? Ugh. Taco. <laughs> it is a tasty treat. Uh, okay. What about you, Andrew? It, it could be Android Tasty Treat. They could just go super meta on it. You super didn't meta, say tapas. Yeah. I'm disappointed. What, why are we? Well, is, but that's, this is that's just more of a like. We're just doing Latin more food of a genre. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm thinking Tostitos. Hey, those are good too. <laughs> Yep, you know Tostitos, Tostitos makes taco shells and taco seasoning. I know we're just we're 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 theming it today, guys. Um, all right, so that's that's cool. Um, I wanna I wanna get into a little bit on the Moto Z three Play because very few people are talking about this phone, and for all of Motorola's quirks, all of its issues with pricing and carrier support and everything else this is a very very good $500 phone that's going to be immediately dismissed because it's not running a more modern SOC and that's a pro like I think that's that's narrow-minded but it's just going to happen so here's the deal this is a very uh you know high-performing mid-range device that's probably $50 too expensive it's $499 and it's got a Snapdragon 636, 4 gigs of RAM, 
32 gigs of storage by default. It's got a 3,000 milliamp hour battery, and um, it's going to support all four U.S. carriers when it go, uh, on its unlocked version, which is available now through Amazon's Prime uh, Prime exclusive phones. And it's also going to be sold at Sprint and U.S. Cellular, which is terrible, but that is what it is. So ignore the carriers because those, unless you're a Sprint customer, you probably don't, you're not considering this. But the phone itself is, it's excellent. I, I think Motorola did a great job keeping the Motomod support without alienating the more modern expectations of phone designs, right? Larger 10, uh, 18 by nine display. Um, they moved, they moved the fingerprint sensor to the, to the right side, super fast. I've not even had an issue with the power button being on the left side of the phone because when I hold the device, the power button is resting underneath my middle finger. So it's positioned right. If you're ever going to put a power button on the left side of a phone, that's where you should put it. Um, on the other hand, the fact that the that the volume buttons are on the right side lead me to believe that they should have just reversed it, put the yeah. power button to the on top of the fingerprint sensor on the right side, moved the volume buttons to the left side, and called it a day. I have no idea why that wasn't made, but whatever. Um, this mm-hmm. is coming in my review next week. Camera is very good, but it's not great. It's a very it's a significant improvement from last year because of the ISP improvements, but the actual sensor is identical. So you're not going to notice much in terms of low light improvements and mostly post-processing and daylight, which I've found much better. Um, and other than that, this is as Motorola as you're going to get really clean software. Moto display is amazing. The gestures are great. And uh, yeah, so stay tuned for my review on that. Cool. Great. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to take a second quick break, and we're going to thank our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. We're welcoming back ZipRecruiter because they loved my initial ad read. Remember, guys, when we ad read this live during the BlackBerry Mm -hmm. Key 2 launch, and it was awesome, and it did not go on for what seemed like an hour. (laughs) That's because we're now just going to talk about ZipRecruiter.com slash ACP. And here's what you need to know, right? You guys are employees of mobile nations as am I. And when I have to hire somebody, I want to go around and I want to find the best person, but it's really hard, right? In our industry, you're, you're kind of like, you're on the internet and people just expect, they're like, they send you a Twitter DM and they're like, yo, I write blogs. Can you hire me? (laughs) And I'm not even joking. This is how it works. And you're like, that's why it's so funny, (laughs) but it's true. And then you're going, okay, well, maybe you're a good writer. I should, I, I should consider you, but the system is broken when you're, when you're hiring on the internet, it's very hard and the system is broken. So that's why you need ZipRecruiter because they make it really, really easy to find qualified candidates and they narrow down all of the candidates for your job that you're listing for. So, Here's what you need to know. ZipRecruiter will send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. And with their matching technology, they scan thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience, and they invite them to apply for your job. So it's like it's like synergy. It's bringing both sides together. It's like the best form of speed dating. 
And then when the application comes in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one. It spotlights the top candidates. And it's so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. That's four out of five employers. That's eight out of 10 employers. That's 16 out of 20 employers. And I could keep going because that's how math works. So with results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, when you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash ACP, you can get a free trial. You can, you can sign up now and you can start using ZipRecruiter to find the right candidates for your job. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ACP ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, so we're going to end the show today talking about what's probably the most important phone announcement of August. If there are any others, I don't know about them yet. But Andrew, Samsung uh, issued invites to its August 9th event in New York City for the Galaxy Note 9. They're not calling it the Note 9 yet because they don't need to. They sent an invite with a very yellow S Pen, mm-hmm. and they're teasing new ways to use the phone. What do we know about the Galaxy Note 9 right now? Well, Daniel, I don't know if you've heard of this phone called the Galaxy S9 Plus, but if you have, then you're 98% of the way to a Note 9. <laughs> oh, snap. Um, <laughs> eh, 95. You're, you're in the high 90s. Uh, it's, it's probably just going to be a Galaxy S9 Plus that's, a little less rounded off and a little bit bigger and a little bit thicker because it's probably going to have a, a 6.3, 6.4 inch display and uh, it's going to have has to have room for that S Pen and it's probably going to actually have a bigger battery, which is pretty awesome because the last round of notes had a, a note had a smaller battery than the than the plus version of the Galaxy S, which made sense conceptually when you think about the S Pen taking up room, but just from the target market of the Note line just did not really jive. So if they really go up to 4,000 milliamp hours, like that's going to be pretty good. Uh, they really need that. The Galaxy S9, good battery life, not great battery life. If they can bump it up by a little over 10%, That'd be a fantastic decision. We've seen some uh, FCC filings that show that the S Pen is going to be Bluetooth connected, which obviously means it wouldn't just have to be in immediate proximity of the screen. Uh, you could do things remotely. People kind of throwing around ideas of you know using it to advance uh, slides or something, or play pause, um, whatever audio or something like that. You know, normal Bluetooth things that you can do with a connected Bluetooth headset, but maybe you would do it with uh, the main S Pen button or a secondary button or, you know, who knows what they could do with that. Uh, and then it'll charge while it's in the silo, which is, you know, A plus awesome. Uh, really interesting to see what Samsung is going to do specifically there because part of the halt, like part of the appeal of the Note line is that it has this stylus that has amazing sensitivity and has this button on it, but doesn't need to be charged. And if it's removed, you know, they use the sensor inside the phone to know whether it's been removed. So it, they're going to have to do this really seamlessly. If it turns into this weird thing where it's like the iPad Pro and you have to, 
you know, stick it into the USB port backwards <laughs> to charge it or something. It's going to be really dumb. So I hope that they do something in- interesting. Also, because that's the only thing the Note 9 is going to have going for it. Uh, if all indications are are correct that this is just going to be a Galaxy S9 Plus in terms of specs and camera and, and all sorts of those things. Three quick hits. Number one, if you put a 4,000 milliamp battery in your phone and it offers quick charging, I'm not going to let anybody I know bring it into my house. When one explodes, somebody's going to die, not just get burned. And not because this is Samsung. Phones explode every day. Now you're talking enough power to really hurt someone. And I'm going to hope that Samsung and whoever else they worked with to make the battery They've used some of the newer technology that's a little more expensive that makes batteries safer. Uh, The next thing, charging the pen. Andrew, that's simple, man. Make the pen shaped so it only fits in one way. Pogo pins. Slide that puppy down there. Lots of ways that they could do it smartly, but there are lots of ways they could do it stupidly. (laughs) No, you got to have faith. Samsung's usually pretty good. You're you're the one talking about how your phone's going to explode. No, not not because it's Samsung. All phones they used explode. to let the S Pen go in backwards and then break the phone. <sighs> I have faith in them. Well, that's enough. Okay. Third thing, that Bluetooth stylus, I'm calling it now. As long as the phone's close enough, you can draw on a whiteboard and it'll it'll recreate it on your screen. Aha. Or on a piece of paper or something. Well, it'll actually yeah, be a pen. Something with Ooh. a hard reflective surface that the a little sensor in the, the phone could read and it'll recreated on your phone screen i could see them doing that it would not be easy to do but samsung can do difficult things and that's just my guess Also, make it make it a laser pointer while you're at it (laughs) so this sounds like samsung is basically going going back to it's going back to basics when it comes to the note as a as a business product as a as a productivity focused phone. I mean, the last few years, there's just been an S Pen, but they haven't really iterated on the um, Air Command features. You haven't really been able right. to do anything with the S with the Note 8 that you couldn't do with the Note 5. And, or added extra sensitivity. They haven't really done anything right. in that last well, two generation jump. I mean, here's the thing. The Note 8 would have been very different if the Note 7 hadn't been recalled. Yeah, that's that's where I was going, because the Note 8 was their best note because they proved that we can still make this great phone. And that was just a fluke. And that's what they needed to do with it. I I could understand they didn't try anything spectacular with the note eight. I just want them to do continue to do something a little bit above and beyond with the note, especially, I mean, the galaxy S nine and S nine plus are so great. Like just go do something different. You, you already know that the note nine is not going to sell like an S9 Plus is. They already have the sales information that shows the last two generations, the Plus version of the phone has sold better than the small one and better than the Note at the same time. They have the freedom to go do some other things, and this is that's exactly what the, the Note fans want. They want something a little extreme. If you remember, the Note started as an experiment. A failed experiment. Uh, I've still got... A T-Mobile one that at the last minute, T-Mobile decided they didn't even want to sell. And Samsung was able to take that experiment and make it extremely popular with enthusiasts and one of the best phones released year after year. So I, I hope they do something a little 
a little out there. I mean, geez, the, the S Pen is not a thing for everybody. But if, it, if the S Pen's not your thing, then just get an S9 Plus. You're really not going to be losing out on that much. But why not do something a little interesting for the people that do want that, that stuff? Yeah, I, I agree with that. At the same time, Alex is always going back to saying the Note line is Samsung's place to experiment, but it's also its muscle car. It's also its mm-hmm. its place to put as powerful a motor, as sleek uh, a, a display, as as you know, a, a, as as crazy a set of features as possible. And right. you know, we haven't really had that since the Note Four. Nope. Um, you know, the Note Five was the beginning of the end of that experimentation. So, but that's also Samsung as a company. I mean, we didn't see a big change between the between the S, even the S7 and the S8. Even though the the screen size and the overall aesthetic changed significantly, the the approach didn't change that much. So and. It's really unfortunate as well because the Note has retained its much higher price. You're talking about a hundred to hundred and twenty dollar MSRP jump, but what did you get? You got a smaller battery and an S Pen, so it, it didn't really always compute in the last few generations either. So that's why I really they have this safety net of these really great phones that they can always push somebody to two. If they say, oh, well, that screen's a little too big or I don't think I need the S Pen or that's too expensive. They can always say, well, how about these other Samsung phones that are almost the same and one hundred to two hundred dollars cheaper? It's like just just go back to doing the crazy stuff with the note. Yeah, maybe the note 10. Well, no, we, we already have seen the note 10, haven't we? What's that? Didn't they make a tablet, a Note 10 tablet? Oh, <laughs> they also made a Note 8 tablet. But yeah, you know. they did. Well, I think by this point next year, we'll know whether there will be a third line of flagships from Samsung with the foldable Galaxy X. And that's expected to be unveiled at CES, question mark. Andrew, this is a rumor that was floated around this week. Uh, it sounds unlikely, given that Samsung hasn't launched a phone at CES in, in a number of years. And that very yep. few companies launch phones at CES anymore. But at the same time, CES has become the place to make a big splash with new, uh, with upcoming innovations, right? Not necessarily products, but just innovations. This is the place where Samsung showed off its flexible and foldable displays before when they were called Yume. And yeah. why wouldn't CES be the place to, to bring a great phone launch back for Samsung and not necessarily overshadow the S10 when it debuts in, uh, in February. Yeah, we actually talked about the idea of this last time around because they're really when this Galaxy X stuff got, you know, started ramping up for the first time, but it's died down for a while. And the, the whole idea would be that this would be a technology demo, like a, a, an expression of our, you know, their dominance in smartphone technologies of all kinds of, you know, sorts that we all put into one device and look at all this crazy stuff that it does. But then it would maybe come out like six months later or something like that after the Galaxy S10 and 10 Plus come out. I would not be surprised if that was the case. 
but I'm really not seeing this this being a typical phone launch in that okay we stand up on stage we announce it as if it were the galaxy s9 that we did the previous year and we're going to stand up there at ces and launch it and it's available for pre-order in a week that just doesn't seem to make sense considering how much money is tied up in that galaxy s release you know revving the s9 to the s10 or whatever and it could, I'm sure it's not going to be called the Galaxy X. That just seems like a bad time to do that when you also have the S10, you have the 10 and the X thing, and it just turns into a whole kind of funky thing. Um, I don't believe that the Galaxy X or whatever it is coming out is going to have any bearing on the what they're doing with the S10's launch. They know where their bread is buttered. That's what matters and the note launch later in the year, the X is going to have to be a separate thing that kind of hints at what the future is for Samsung. And, you know, they kind of do that on a, on a separate scale. It's not going to just be an instant hit like that. I, I, I hope they don't. The technology is not ready. If Samsung releases a phone that actually has a screen that folds, people are going to be disappointed. It's not what we think it is. The, the, the rest of the technology isn't there yet. Yeah, I, I remember the Galaxy Note Edge. I mean, I remember how stupid <laughs> well, that was at the time, and it ended up I, just being a feature of their phone. All of us here have seen a demo, whether from Samsung or LG, of a, a flexible display that you can actually roll up. But did you also notice it's on a big, long wire, and everything that, that drives that screen, you can't fold up. So there's a problem there. And yes, you can make a circuit board that's flexible, but the parts that go in it are not flexible. And no new parts have not been invented yet. So the glass is not flexible. Well, it would have to be plastic, which I, I I could be okay with plastic. And I think most people for the convenience of a flexible phone would be okay with a good acrylic that's very thin and can bend. But the parts inside, your CPU doesn't bend. You're gonna have a phone that that at most folds in the middle and it's gonna have to have some sort of edge in the in the middle where the two circuit boards are separated like we've already seen from other companies and they did not sell i i agree with you i think this is going to be more of a technology demo that goes a step further to actually being some sort of a product at some point but it's not going to be there will be massive compromises and it's not going to just supplant the galaxy s right and it has to and i'm glad samsung is the company that's doing this because samsung is really good at at components they will be the one of the companies that helps figure out how to make some sort of super thin device that can fold and slip in your pocket you know so this is the start of that but i don't guys just don't go into this thinking that you know come christmas time next year in 2019 for christmas you're going to run out and you know buy one of your loved ones a foldable samsung phone so the other part of it is is this foldable in the in the the way we think about it or is it going to be folded in half on a seam or a hinge like what we saw with the zte axon m it's gonna have to be uh there's just no other way everything else can can fold. The screen may be able to bend, you know, a full what 
I guess it'd be 180 degrees on top of itself without breaking, but the other components can't. So it's going to have to be in two pieces with a hinge. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's it's going to be as exciting as I think we are hoping no. for. Well, no. Especially- I, I look at this on the same level as these these other phones that we just talked about the last couple of weeks with the pop-up cameras and the pop-up sections and things like that. This is just another way to try to manage that problem of getting the most screen and the smallest amount of body without massive compromises. And this is just one of Samsung's ways to try to tackle that, much like the curved display, you know, with the curved edges was trying to manage that problem in the first place. Uh, they ended up kind of not needing it by being able to go to 19 by nine displays. But at the time, that's just was kind of the way to manage that. And I could see this being the, the same type of thing. But Daniel, I this does get me excited because this is how technology changes. You have to have a company like Samsung who's willing to throw the money away. So this gets me excited, not not for this particular product, but what comes next. Well, on that note, I think we're going to leave it there. This has been... Uh, a really, I, I've I've really enjoyed this because it's it's run the gamut, right? We have <laughs> we have Android, we have the companies that build on top of Android, we have ways that Android is helping, um, you know, us do more. And I, I'm you know I, I think even though the Note line is just another set of phones that we're gonna write about and ignore shortly after. I'm I'm very happy about the direction of Android in general. I'm excited about using Android P. I'm excited about other people using it. And I'm excited about the final name, which, Jerry, what do you think it's going to be? Popsicle. Popsicle. I think it'll be two. So on that note, I hope y'all, if you're hungry, if you're tired, if you're thirsty, if you just need a break, go grab a Popsicle or a LaCroix. Yeah, or a LaCroix. And have a great week. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.